episode five of Subliminal Thoughts. Today, we have a very special guest, um, the renowned Hamza Ali that um, I've been following for a pretty good amount of time now um, for real estate. And, you know, when we talk about real estate spaces, this space that we're renting right now for this warehouse is kind of your specialty, right? Um, This space that we're renting is a warehouse, office warehouse space, and you can kind of you know, dive into a little bit, but before you do that, you know, please introduce yourself. Um, on yeah. Day, so, so. Uh, uh, the way I like to introduce myself is, um, I'm an immigrant. I, I came to the U S in 2014, really. So 2013, I came here to kind of explore 2014 moved here full time. I lived in my aunt's attic when I moved here to the United States. Wow. And I stayed with her for eight months. And at the time I was married, I had kids. Um, I left them back home. I told my wife I was leaving for two weeks just to explore. And the opportunity was just so great. Like I saw this crazy opportunity and I was like, you know what? I have to stay and figure it out. And I spent eight months in a media room on an inflatable bed and decided, you know what? I'm going to start a business. I'm going to start a company and I'm going to start building these exact office warehouses. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. And it's been a, a really interesting journey. And these office warehouses have really developed since I, you know, since I moved into the space and, you know, in the olden days, they were just like these 80s sort of construction, larger uh, spec deals. Now you're seeing a lot of new businesses that probably didn't exist, including this one just a couple of years ago. Yeah. And they need space like this. They need exactly this. And so I, I, I realized that in 2014 and I was like, you know what, I'm going to build this and I'm going to see how it goes. And, uh, and that's kind of how I started. And funny story, when I first came to this country, you know, I didn't realize that you needed credit and, you know, <laughs> I didn't realize a lot of things. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm here. I'm just going to build these things and I'm going to get loans. You know, I'd read books uh, when, I, mm. when I was abroad and I was like, oh, this is so easy, man. I can do this all day. And then once I got here, I realized, oh, you know, it's a little more difficult than that. And so, uh, uh, you know, went through all those challenges. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. Uh, but, you know, have been doing this ever since. I really love it. There's a lot of money to be made, which is now why I educate other people um, to kind of build. And I think that's kind of how we met, right? Through the education, through social media, which is where I educate other people to go and do it. Because I think it's so easy, so cheap. And I think it's uh, fairly automated as well, which is another thing that people don't like. Mm. Right? You don't want to deal with tenants and they're problematic or could be possibly problematic. Uh, With this type of of product, there's really nothing that can go wrong, you know? So I just thought it was easy. Yeah. So, so, um, what was your first project? That's interesting. Uh, my first project, I lived in Cinco Ranch at the time, which okay. was like a crazy on fire, uh, zip code at the time. Yeah, it was now in it's Katy. crazy, right? Um, and it was crazy at the time when I'd moved here because they had all these new residential subdivisions. So obviously I couldn't afford anything there with the little money that I'd come with. And, uh, so I ended up buying something in North Katy at the time. That place was deserted. Right now, you go to North Katy, it's still pretty like high end. You know, homes are probably in the half a million dollar range, 400 to 500,000. But back then, there was nothing. And I found this piece of land, negotiated it with, with, um, with this guy. I remember um, it was his dad's land and he was just negotiating on his behalf and ended up buying the property. And that's when I got stuck because I realized that I couldn't get a loan and I hadn't done that due diligence prior. So I put all oh, my damn. money into this land and now yeah. I went to the bank. I'm like, hey, bank, look, I have this land. 
and I want to build it. And I've read this book, you know, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor oh, Dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this was 2013. So that book was like trending back then, right? Right, right. And so I'm like, okay, I read this book and Robert says that, hey, look, if I have land, you know, I should be able to use leverage and kind of build everything. And the banker's like, hey, you have two years of tax returns. I'm like, oh, I just came to the country a few years, a few months ago. I don't even have a social security number yet, you know? So, wait, so where did you immigrate from? I moved here from Dubai, but okay. I'm originally from Yemen. Okay. So I moved here from the Middle East, um, uh, grew up in Dubai, so watched Dubai grow. I think that had a very big impact. Yeah, Dubai on, is crazy. <laughs> on, my, on my risk appetite because right. I saw oh, the shit. desert become from nothing to everything in mm. like 10 years. And I was like, you know what? I moved to Katy and I saw that potential because mm. it was like, you know, it was like farmland and there were cows and, you know, there were things that I didn't anticipate coming to America. When you look at America through a TV screen, it looks completely different. You oh, think like yeah. you think yeah. like you're gonna be in either California, you know, or you're gonna be somewhere like New York. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you end up in Katy, Texas, <laughs> or a and you're farm. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you, and like then Texas is all like a farm. Wait, right? so when you say North Katy, where's North Katy? So North Katy is just north of I-10. Okay. And South Katy is uh, south of I-10, basically. Right. Right? Like, so, like, like, what are some crossroads that are like near where so you're at? I would say um, I am on um, Greenhouse. Barker oh. Cypress. So let's take Barker Cypress and West Little York, right? That's where. That's how oh. fur, further north I went. Wow. So it was oh, the absolute okay. edge. You it's know? like Cypher kind almost, of. Almost. Almost. So one street okay. over is Cypher. Gotcha. Okay. And I know so, where you're at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so, not as familiar with that territory than you are because you're from Katy. I'm from Katy. Okay. Yeah. But like when my mom got remarried, we lived out in Cypress. Oh, so you know that area pretty well. I don't, but like I know. Right. I definitely know the, like yeah, I know the general, general idea. Uh, yeah, idea. Yeah, for sure. And so back then, really, there was nothing. Over, I was like one of the first people to buy land and start building it and uh, the reason i build land is because i heard and this was totally just like you know i'd come dubai style you know like oh i heard that they're going to be building a residential subdivision right in front of this property and uh, so i was like okay i'm gonna buy this land because i think this residential subdivision is coming and lo and behold the residential subdivision actually came so whoever passed Holy that information shit. to me wow uh, yeah there was like i want to say like 3,000 homes being built right in front of the piece of land that I bought. Wow. Yeah, so, so, that, so whoever told you that is like like a godsend for you because well, you said you were stuck, right? I, well, well, I was stuck because I couldn't get the loan. Right. But at this point, I had already purchased the property. And how much How much was the property? For I like? think I paid $320,000. Wait, so how did you pay for it without the loan? Well, I had cash. Cash. So when I, I actually sold a business in order to move to the U.S. Oh, so you came here with money. I, I came here with about... I would say about three fifty, okay, maybe, maybe a little more than that. Right, right. Okay. Um, and I needed, of course, I needed money to process immigration. You know, food. Yeah. Buy, buy a car. Just cost of living. Yeah, yeah. Just cost of living for those eight months. And the reason I lived with my aunt is because I wasn't sure my immigration was gonna go through. Right. Right. Because you don't know. You apply, and then you're waiting for like a year, and you don't know. Hey, is this gonna go through? Is this not gonna go through? What's gonna happen? Which is yeah. why it took me so long to really make a move. But at the same time, I think it gave me a lot of time to really study that market and mm -hmm. understand and drive around. Because, you know, until my immigration wasn't processed, I wasn't really going to go and say, okay, here you go. I'm going to buy this land and then just, you know, YOLO it yeah, um, yeah. all the way till the end. So my immigration, lucky for me at that time, it was a little faster than it is today. Got processed, I want to say, like within six months or so. And so... 2013? 2014. Okay, 2014. So from there, called my wife. Told her, okay, pack your bags, you know, everything's Love done. That. You guys are moving here. 
Uh, that's a whole separate story. But that's anyway. crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Risk so, so, at a whole new So level. was business in Dubai not taking off for you, or you just saw a lot bigger opportunity coming here? So in Dubai, I was a realtor. And I worked oh, for, I was, I was a very, very, I worked with very high net worth individuals, um, like royal families like and such. Tr- trillionaires. <laughs> and, uh, and the reason I was able to work with them is because I graduated college in 07, I believe 07. So 07 was the big financial crisis. I'm 09. Yeah. I'm so, 09. So, so like we graduated, yeah. we had no jobs, you know, we had to kind of hustle our way to make money, to make a living. Uh-huh. So it was Almost like, okay, I graduated. Where's my job? And they're like, oh, guess what? You're not getting a job. Not, not for the next few years, yeah, at least. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And Dubai's case was very sad because Dubai doesn't have a very big local population. So at that time, people actually ended up leaving the country. Yeah. And so now you have no people. You have all this real estate and nobody wants to buy it. And so we graduated. Seven was really hard. Eight was even harder. Nine, we kind of saw like... You know, kind of, sort of, we... What, we, 09? 09. So we knew that this is kind of the bottom and it's going up from here. So we had an influx of people come in and invest money in Dubai. So the housing market crash here actually was prevalent in Dubai? Oh, it was worse. It was really? worse because at yeah, least you people great. have a population. Like, even though the housing market crashed, you still have all these people in the country. Yeah. Dubai's population probably decreased by no joke 50%. That's Holy why you, you see, if you see in the news, you have all those abandoned supercars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, like the yards. Yeah, yeah. full of Yachts, it. you know. And so guess Damn. what? You had developers at that time literally abandon projects and leave. Wow. Because these were international developers. And they were like, you know what? Mm. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to finish this project. So let's just leave. So you had all these towers mm. in the middle of the city at the time. Wow. So most of those were international contractors? M- yeah, almost all of them were. Only it's like wow. it's like Vegas too. Like yeah. Vegas is the same. There's like all international people. Like Resorts World or World of Resorts right now is built by China. Wow. That's like the newest casino in Vegas too. It's crazy. Wow. Right. Yeah. So you had all these international... So we do have... They did have at the time a government developer as well. Mm-hmm. And the government developer slowed things down, but they continued with, you know their developments, but all the international guys, they got out and left. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, they're building at like, you know, $500 million, but now Jeez. the real estate is only worth $100 million because of the crash. And they're like, you know what? Jeez. It's not worth putting any money into this. So let's just leave and we'll deal with it, you know, when we deal with it. And so the government actually ended up absorbing all of those developments <laughs> and then rebuilding them on their dime. Jeez. And a lot of them didn't get built. You still have places that you will not see on TV that are not built. I need wow. to go to Dubai one oh, day. Yeah, yeah, David, for sure. you want to go? Let's go to so, Dubai. Yeah, you should go for me? <laughs> yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, this, so all this was happening, and you were like, I need to figure something out. I need to go to the U.S., and you told your wife, stay here. I'm going to go try and start this business. And luckily, it was able to take off for you. Yeah. In short. In but, short, yeah. But <laughs> the, before you do that, the reason you chose Texas is because you had an aunt here, right? Yeah, so and initially, I moved to Irvine, California. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, I come is, from a beach city. You know, yeah, they're all rich people. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go to Irvine. <laughs> and yeah. that's kind of where I want to be, right? So I yeah. land in Irvine. I land in LA. Mm-hmm. So I take a flight from Dubai to LAX, land in LAX, go straight to Irvine where I had an uncle. And I was like, okay, I'm here. Let's talk real estate. Show me the money. Exactly. And I've, I've come with $350,000. And a I'm shack. like, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so. So he's like, yeah, let me show you around. And, you know, he was really nice and he took the time and he really showed yeah. me around. And 
And then I started to realize that I think I'm poor. <laughs> I don't I don't think I actually have money, you know, because at the time I was 29, 350 grand in my pocket. I'm like, oh, well, in man. perspective where you were. Right, right. Yeah, I guess the perspective you know? was. And so yeah. I, I, I go to L.A. and then I realize I'm like, oh, I don't think I can really do business here. It's very expensive. And mm-hmm. so luckily, while I was there, my aunt was like, hey, look, you've made it all the way to the U.S. Come visit. You know, there's a lot of construction going on here where I'm at. Um, I think you like it. And just to put things into perspective, my aunt is a school teacher. So she really like doesn't know real estate or understand real yeah, estate yeah, in any sure. like, you know, big way. But she's like, come on and you can stay with me for as long as you want. And she made me an offer and I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm grabbing a flight because I cannot do business in California. It's just too difficult. Yeah. Um, How long were you there for before you kind of figured this out? I'd say I was there for about probably a month, maybe a little less than a month. Um, I mean, it was pretty obvious fairly quickly that, yeah. uh, you know, I was nowhere ready for California type business, you know? Um, so about a month I spent in California, moved to Katy, Texas, um, quickly realized that, you know what? Yeah, I think, I think we can do something in Katy, you know, or in Houston as a whole. Um, ended up buying the piece of land, did not get the loan. So imagine this, you spend all your money between immigration, car, food, clothes, and a piece of land that you have that you thought was going to, you know, give you the money to build. And now you go to every bank and they're telling you, uh, where's your tax returns? You know, uh, we can't give you a loan because you're, you know, you don't have tax returns or you're not a U.S. citizen or, you know, these other things that a lot of people actually don't have to think about. And these were all things that I continuously had to think about because it was my livelihood and I had invested the money already. Right. So I got lucky. I found what, the, what I now realize is a KP, so a key principal. A key principal is a person basically who will guarantee the loan on your behalf for a percentage. Mm. And key principals in our business as syndicators or whatever, um, you know, they vary depending on the size of the project. It could be like 20% of the proceeds all the way, you know, all the way down to 5%, depending on how large this project is. So is this a guarantor? Yeah, so basically, yes. A key principle is basically the person who guarantees your loan on your behalf gotcha. if you can't guarantee it for whatever reason. I got gotcha. you. Right? And uh, at the time, you know, I didn't know any better. So one of my bankers says, hey, um, I can find you someone um, who will. Uh, <laughs> it's who, one of those shitty conversations. <laughs> will, hey, I got somebody. Who, though. Who will, I know, got this guy. And look, th- this is the thing a lot of people don't understand. And maybe um, they would have let it go. But for me, I always knew this was a stepping stone. It's not like right. this is my one and only project. I always had that, okay, if I can do this, the next one's going to be better. The one after that's going to be even better, you know, and Correct. they're all going to be amazing, right? So I'm already eyeing like 10 projects down. Th- this is li- literally. I'm in the same boat as you, but yeah, I keep so so my banker introduces me to this gentleman, older gentleman, um, loan shark, and uh, <laughs> like a better word. And basically, the guy says, "Yeah, I'll I'll totally sponsor this if your banker is underwritten it and it's okay. I just want fifty percent of Jesus. of your profits." And I'm like, "Yeah, what? Look, at the time, I didn't even know what my profits were. Right, like, right. I mean, I could do an Excel spreadsheet and it looked nice, but like real money in my bank account, even I didn't know what that was." And so, um, Jesus ended up building the project, sold it. He netted one point one million dollars. So the guy who applied for my loan, right, right, right. And when I tell people the story, people get furious. They're like, "I can't believe you did that. You gave the guy a million dollars." I, I well, mean, well, what did you net? 
So I netted the same. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. But my point is, is that had I not done that, I would have never learned 100% what I know today. Yeah. And I would have never been really able to do all the things that I did because through that process, that learning process, I realized, oh, you know what? I can get investors now. Oh, yeah. I can do this now, you know? And, and you would you would have never made that million dollars had it not been for this guy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So essentially you had to pay a significant fee, which in the grand scheme of things is actually minuscule yep. to what you're going to make because now you have a proof of concept and everybody will every bank will dive at the opportunity to like give you a loan now, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, since then things have changed. Uh, you know, we built a fairly large portfolio and then ended up selling um, the entire portfolio, well, almost the entire portfolio uh, in 2020, right before COVID. So imagine it's been working, you know, for how many ever years, 2020, get an offer from a company that says, we want to buy the entire portfolio, whatever oh, you damn. own, we want. And I was like, yeah, sure, take it. And they were paying me a premium at the time. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, perfect. All right, go ahead. Take this company. Um, it's all yours and everything in it, right? And if you, okay, so you started at, okay, so you started at the 300K and you sold the, the land. How, like, how much did you sell it for if you don't mind me asking? Um, that specific project. Yeah. So yeah. it cost me around $4 million. Okay. I sold it for about 6.4. But Love, after wow, you, after wow. you remove all the cost yeah. and you know. And how, the, how big was the land? It was about four acres. Wow. Yeah. It was about four acres. But of, of places like this? No, yeah. no, no. It, yeah, oh, so, so flex spaces as well. Yeah, yeah. That, that's oh, all okay. I did. So I built uh, five buildings, 12,000 wow. square feet each. It came up to 66,000 square feet plus a detention pond that was required for me to build in that area. Right. And uh, I, I, w- I want to say I build it for like uh, four million, whatever that, whatever that cost is. That's including the land. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ended up selling it for roughly around a hundred dollars a square foot, which is six point four million dollars. Yeah, uh, yeah. About um, today's price is about one hundred and thirty-five dollars a square foot. So yeah. it's thirty-five percent more than when I sold it. Yeah. Uh, but cost of construction has gone up as well. A so lot, that's something. Yeah. So that yeah, yeah. that's something. I think like per in. square foot right now is like seventy-five to ninety. I would say probably closer to hundred, depending yeah. on the build outs. Okay. Yeah, wow. because the build outs are really what really like these walls. These there's, walls there's are like expensive. the materials. Yeah. 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 Okay, so you you sold this project for six point four million dollars and you netted your one point one. And what like what year was this? This was probably around twenty. It took me two years, 2017. And then you, so you took the 1.1 and did you reinvest it into something else? Oh yeah. I, I, I did me- you work with that guy again? I did not. <laughs> because I mean, I mean, think about this, right? So I came here 2014. Um, I had two years of tax returns by the time this project sold. I okay. had, you know, I had a million dollars in my bank account. Right. I really didn't. You like, didn't need them anymore. Yes. Yeah. And at, on the side, I was doing other real estate deals as well. Um, through investor money. Nice. And that's nice. kind of where I realized that, hey, you know what? I can actually combine these two things and have my investors. Because you have to realize, when I was building that warehouse, I was networking at the same time. And I was yeah. calling a lot of people uh, to show them what I was building. And so a lot of people would come up to me, hey, Hamza, man, I have money. You know, I have 50K, I have 100K, I have 25,000. I want to invest. I want to, I want something like this. Mm-hmm. And I was so like, you yeah. built like an LP for like a ton of people. Right. For, for those of you that don't know, LP is a liquidity pool. Yeah. Um, to, for investors to kind of dive into. Right. 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 So, I mean, it was, so, it so, was, so instead of, sorry to interrupt you, 
So instead of having like this loan shark, you would get a bunch of your friends or people you would know to throw in and create like a giant pot. Right. And they would all get like a small percentage back. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Dope. And uh, well, it was more than a small because I promised well, them 80 yeah. percent of the proceeds and I would keep 20 as long as I didn't have to put any money into the deal. So mm, I would be wow. like what we no call risk. The, the operating partner, basically. Gotcha. So I'd operate the entire thing. I'd keep 20 percent. They'd keep 80 percent. Some of these deals that I was doing at the time were existing deals. So they weren't like uh, gr all ground up development. Some of them were like already cash flowing, you know, it, they were good. I thought I could make them better. So I jumped into those as well. Um, and of course, I needed money to pay my bills, right? Month to month. So yeah. that's kind of how that started. Yeah, that's that, that was my question. So for your first <coughs> development, you put the, the 350K down and then you got the loan. How, did, how long did that development take? To be fully built and how did you pay for anything up until that point so just the loan you took out no no um so within the loan yes there was a there was a fee for me for sure mm -hmm. um it, it would keep my you know keep me running sort of yeah but just bare minimal right yeah, just being really frugal um yeah. beyond that my investors then started investing in cash flowing deals so i would get a percentage of that cash flow oh, as well that's awesome. which was also like uh, yeah at that time i was probably netting Total income, maybe 15000 a month, mm -hmm. probably, give or take, you know, 15, mm -hmm. maybe I'd hit 20 on a good month, but it was, 50, I think 15000 is safe to say is what I was netting mm -hmm. every month. It's during, good. Yeah, during that time. Yeah. Uh, well, it's good, but, you know, I made way more. Oh, yeah, home, on one, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah back yeah. in Dubai, yeah, absolutely. So it was yeah. a start. It was a learning curve, you know, um, lots of learning, lots of education, and uh three years to sell that deal right so if you take 2014 to 2017 that's three wow. years and wow. in that three years i was basically like doing anything i could just to keep you know my doors open mm -hmm. uh once i sold that deal i bought a piece of land in cypher so uh, one street over mm -hmm. and it was an amazing amazing venture so i bought 12 acres and b by the time i had purchased that 12 acres i believe it was 2017 i think it was yeah um, I had already like other deals that were like maturing as well um, to exit. So I had like a couple of exits coming in because I, I had started buying deals in 2015 with investor money. Um, and some of these were rehab. They were done. You know, the value add was complete. And now I was ready to exit those as well. So I was starting like I could see I didn't have the money, but I could see that, OK, I'm going to exit this. This is how much I'm going to make. So I had that cushion mm -hmm. and i was comfortable at that point nice um that's kind of when i really uh went out leased an office started getting staff you know started investing in my business mm -hmm. and uh, making this like a legit fund type structure when when did it get to the point where you felt like i can't do this myself like i, I need a team i think probably sometime in 2016 um, and at that point how many properties did you have three so we had three properties that we were working on. Um, and when I say I couldn't do this alone, I had one other employee in the company. Uh, so it was me and one other person. Mm -hmm. 2017, after my exit, I think 2017, 2018 is really where we started to ramp up. And uh, uh, something really interesting that not a lot of people know about is we had a huge crisis in 2016, massive. It was the oil crisis when oil hit $30 a barrel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nobody was buying real estate at that time. I aggressively picked up, I want to say, two or three properties in 2016. Uh, I want to say December of 2016 is when I bought those properties, so like into 2017. And when I bought them, people thought I was crazy. They were like, what are you doing, man? Why are you buying these properties? You know, it's not worth it. It's so risky. 
uh, and I, I bought those properties. Ended up, those are my most profitable deals, by the way, till today. Wow. When I exited those deals, one of them I netted three hundred percent. Sheesh. Yeah, one of them probably two fifty. Uh, was one, it be, was it because at that time nobody was buying real estate, so you got it super cheap? Nobody was buying. Everybody was on pause. I remember at the time uh, we were hiring for one person. And we were getting all these like oil and gas executives, like I'm talking like, wow. you know, wow. uh, high level executives applying for jobs that were like paying, you know, not that much. And I was really confused as to why are we getting like, you know, so overqualified people. And we actually interviewed a couple of them and they're like, you know, senior in their position. Holy but at shit. that time, Houston lost a lot of jobs, a lot. Wow. Yeah. And so... Uh, it was just a good time to buy real estate, you know? And so I took that opportunity. I bought two or three properties. Uh, I think it was three properties. And we actually exited them not too long ago. We exited them in 2020. And all of them were, were our best performers wow. by far. So, so this was the 12-acre land that you also built FlexSpace warehouses on. Yes. So let me ask you a question. Why did you choose FlexSpace warehouses? I actually have background in industrial real estate development from back home. Okay. So um, I worked for a large developer. So I told you when we graduated, you know, crisis, uh, real estate went down. Yeah. 2010 really was when we started seeing the reversal, the, the, the tail end of that to where people were starting to come in. I got an offer from an industrial developer to become a project manager on a government-backed project. It was a massive project. Wow. And I took that offer. And not too long after I accepted that offer, I got poached by an investor to develop for him privately. Ooh. So he told me, hey, Hamza, look, uh, I want to develop my own office, like on my own warehouses, but, um, and I want you to run the show. And I was like, well, yeah, cool, I'll run the show, man. That's not a problem. And so he t I told him, you know, you have to set up a, an entity for me. You have to get me the correct, you know, insurances and all of that, and I'll help you with your project. And his project was big. It was a big project. I, I'm just trying to remember. You're a popular man in Dubai. Man, you know, <laughs> look, I grew up there. Yeah. I went to college there. Yeah. You know, all my friends are still there. I'm yeah. still in touch with them. They, they're doing crazy. Some of them are just doing crazy things right now, you know? Cool. And, uh, and so at the time I was like, okay, look, if you set up an LLC, you feed me, you know, you pay me, whatever it is, um, I will, I will build this for you. Mm -hmm. While I was doing that. He, the, the same person actually introduced me to other people as well who were giving me projects. Now, that is the business that I sold in order to get money to be able to come to the U.S. Wow. Um, I, I had a partner in that business. I actually sold out to my partner because I was like, you know what? I'm, I think I'm done. And I can, I can probably uh, do a little better in the U.S. Mm. Um, so, so, so that's my background. I, I, I really have like in-depth background in steel structure construction. Now, not this small. This is a little smaller than yeah. what I'm used to building. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, uh, but this is much more simpler, way more simpler than, you know, the stuff that I was working in. So mm -hmm. this is actually like I could close my eyes and, you know, just get, get a ton of these like pushed out uh, every year. No problem. That's yeah. so funny. So when he probably pulled up, he's like, oh. I build these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's okay. so funny. So the the Cypher land, the twelve acre. Um, what what was the investment like? The investment was million? one million dollars for twelve acres. Yes, at the time. I know it's ridiculous. Sheesh. It's crazy. Um, I actually have a course. 
uh, not that I'm soliciting the course or anything. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, yeah, but okay. Uh, in the course, I actually show closing settlement statements. So wow. I, I show proof of purchase and sale to my students. 12 acres down the street for the one I was looking at was 8.5. Oh, million. yeah, yeah, for sure. The land Bro, today, the land alone crazy. is probably worth at least five, six million dollars. Just the land. Um, so at the time, it was really cheap. This I, is 2016. 2016. Okay. I saw this sign, orange sign. I still remember. I actually kept the sign until uh, today, <laughs> even when I bought the land. And it, it, it was like as if it was hand painted and it said for sale, call. <laughs> and that's it. That's all it said. Wow. I called the guy. It was, and it was a lot. It was it was a large parcel, acres, man. Twelve bro, acres, yeah. Cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Twelve wow. acres is five hundred and twenty something thousand yeah, square feet. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's huge. So, uh, I called this guy. He's old, older gentleman. Uh huh. And I meet him at La Peep. Peep. La Peep. La Peep. Is yeah, that yeah, what it's yeah. called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I still remember, man. I met him at La Peep in the Galleria area. Oh, so yeah. inside I, the I, loop. I live right there. Okay, so La oh, Peep. I've been, I've been there. Okay. <laughs> it was they the closed first... down now. But... No, they're still there. It's, right, still? it's right next to Jen's place. It's, oh, wow. It's literally in the shopping center where you get oh. your haircut. So I meet this Legendary. guy <laughs> probably in his late 80s, uh-huh. and he's the trustee for the land. And I'm like, okay, uh, what do you want for it? He's like, one million sixty. I'm like, okay, I'll give you a million. Let's make a deal, man. I'll give you a million. He's like, nope, one million sixty. And I'm trying to understand why is this man stuck at one million sixty thousand? Like an extra sixty. Yeah, I mean, I'm paying you one million dollars today, right now. Give me the land. And he was stuck at one million sixty. So it turns out he was making a commission. Of sixty thousand dollars, <laughs> and, and and the seller of the property wanted exactly one million dollars, and this oh is how he was gonna gosh. do it, you know. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh! And so I was like, okay, one million sixty, man, whatever it is. So I actually closed that land for right. exactly one million and sixty dollars. Uh, oh, that's hilarious! Yeah, it was a funny story. I still talk to. He still calls me, you know, every now and then. Yeah. Wait. So so he was a real estate agent, or he well. Was- I don't know what he was. All I know is that he was the guy <laughs> I, I dealt with. He, All I know is I gave him sixty thousand dollars. Yep. <laughs> on the settlement statement, you know, he has sixty grand for whatever right. you know his thing is. So, yeah. so fast forward this this twelve acre. I think this is the YouTube video that I watched. How you turned one million into sixteen million, right? Yes. So, talk to us a little bit about that because these are all flex spaces too, right? These are all flex spaces. Okay. This and, is fucking. And crazy. this is and this is the fascinating part. So, the before I did the one million to sixteen million, okay. Mm-hmm. I did 300,000 to 6 million before that on my first project. And that took three years. Yes, because I remember I bought that land Mm -hmm. for 300 and change. Mm -hmm. um, And then we build it exactly the same way. Because you look, if you buy $300,000 worth of land, the bank is going to give you about a million dollars in debt, right? Yeah. Um, I sold that thing for 6.4. Jeez. So so I've done this before, right? Love that. So... It's build insane. one building, oh, refinanced right. out, build the other, yeah. refinance out, which is why it took me three years to do the damn project, yeah. you know, because it's like. And, and also because you had no experience with like GCs here. So exactly. it's all new relationships. So all these things that yep. like potentially could have been avoided if you had new people. Right. Exactly. Damn, that's crazy. And so before I did the one to 16 million, right. I actually did the three to six, right? The 300,000 to $6.4 million. Which is Kind of more impressive because it's 18x versus exactly, 16x. Exactly. So it was a smaller dollar amount in my pocket, right. you know, but I mean, as a project, it yeah. outperformed the Absolutely. 1 to 16 million. Yeah. And that 1 to 16 million dollar video is actually inaccurate. That project, once completed, will be worth at least $20 million. 
Because 16 million is that current appraisal of like when you appraise when, the land. And right? when I posted that video. Okay. That was a couple of years ago. You know? Um, so I actually ended up selling that project not for 16 million, much less than that. Um, okay. Because I sold out early. I didn't complete it. Okay. So uh, there's something else that I learned during my time uh, developing office warehouses, and that is time value of money. And time value of money now to me is more important than the money itself. And explain that. Okay. Bit. So let me explain that. I build a project. And in this case, I have a YouTube video on this project, this specific project that you're talking about, the one to $16 million project, right? Had I completed that project, I would have po probably pocketed $19 million, not 16. Netted. Yeah. Sheesh. Okay. Now, no, I wouldn't have netted because there's debt in there and there's okay, other okay. components, right, right. right? Project value would have been $19 million. Okay. You have to understand that now, because I'm running like at least three or four projects at the same time, right. sometimes I get offers, man. I get like this project, I completed just one phase. I only built one third of the project and uh -huh. I got an offer from a buyer out of California at a premium. So they're like, you know what? We're going to come in and we're going to give you $7.4 million. And I was like, okay, done. It's yours. So I didn't actually Damn. finish the project. Two reasons. Where we are right now in the market, buying stuff is expensive. And completing projects, you have to extend um, the project timeline at least a year. Right now, if I did that, I extended the timeline and it's going to cost me more to build. I actually net less as a total than I would today taking that $7.4 million and then reinvesting it in something else. That makes a lot of sense. Hear you. you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I, I took the $7.4 million out of which I netted about $3 million because- And how, how long of a time frame that, was that? Oh, uh, two years. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> two years. That's nice. And, uh, and now what I did is with that money, I mean, I'm not going to let it sit. Yeah. Um, I actually invested it in other land. And as you know, I'm investing aggressively in Austin as well. Yeah, we um, talked about that. And like, I have, again, flex spaces. That's all I do. Is there a reason you only do flex spaces? Yeah, I like the automation and I hate property management. I, <laughs> I, I absolutely yeah. hate property management. Well, if you're selling them, how would you, why would you have any property management at all? Exactly. That's why I build flex space and sell them. Okay. Because I hate property management. Well, because if you, if you like, let's just say you buy the land, right? And you build it. And there's multiple phases. Each phase has to be leased out at least 80%. So if it's somewhere that like requires property management, you have to manage those people that are currently leasing those spaces, like apartments or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like apartments. I like, hear you. We're talking about Donovan and stuff like that. Well, I mean, but couldn't you just build a, uh, an apartment building and sell that? Okay. So here's the thing, right? You build an apartment complex. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It looks gorgeous. 80% of your focus when building that apartment complex is in the last 20%. Backsplashes, fixtures, oh, yeah. doorknobs. Here you don't give a locks. shit. Locks. You know, this door is not lining up So there's exactly. too much detail. Yeah, I don't have time for that, man. <laughs> okay. <You know>? okay. <laughs> just so, trying to build one. So, yeah. so, so essentially, it's just a lot simpler. There's quicker, faster money in the right? business. And you're not okay. stacking anything on top. There's no complications. You know, the engineering's pretty straightforward. Okay, so yeah. you're so you're now doing it in Bastrop or Austin, Texas, or whatever, right? So a key question, and this is very important because you bought the land during a, you know, a recession. Do you believe that these projects are recession proof? So in 2016, um, we hit a massive recession Correct. here in Houston, Texas. Yeah, yeah. It worked out in my benefit. My cost of construction went down about 30%. Mm. 
-hmm. because I could find labor labor for cheaper. I renegotiated all my material contact contracts with all my vendors. Material was cheaper. Um, and companies were actually willing to work with you on a payment schedule as well. They're wow. like, you know what? Um, as long as you're giving us business, you don't need to pay us right now, but you can pay us down the line, you know? So I think you have to look at it um, in a way where, where it can work to your benefit. Let's say tomorrow we had a recession and you're sitting on land, okay? And I'm sitting on a lot of land right now. Um, and the first thing to go down in a recession is guess what? land yeah right so you can pick up land for nothing because there you have all these people who have all this land and they don't know what to do with it and you know recession comes and they're like okay we want to get rid of this right mm -hmm. i'm sitting on a ton of land right now and if a recession were to come i'm gonna get hit hard right but i'm building all of this land now if a recession were to come you're gonna have a lot of companies that are gonna want to negotiate cheap contracts and guess what instead of building for 95 dollars a foot you probably get away with 55 a foot Damn. So let's just say <clears throat> you've built it when there was in recession and now you have to, it's completed and now you have to fill up the spaces. Will you like it? And let's just say you have to fill up the spaces and then the recession hits. Do you think at that time it would be hard for you to fill those spots? No. If I told a tenant, Hey, look, uh, six months free. I just signed this lease three months free. Sign this lease. You know how many tenants I'd get? You know how many people have hopes and dreams and they want to open businesses every So essentially, day? like, as long as you provide them proper incentives, yeah. you feel like this industry in the flex space development is essentially recession-proof. I do. I, I really yeah. believe that, well, recession-proof is... That's a bad phrase, but you, you get what I'm right, saying. Right, it's right. like, it, like it will as much. You can yeah, always work play, around yeah. it. You can always yeah. work around it. You know what okay. I mean? Um, all that matters is that you are on top of your game yeah. and you know what you're doing and you know how to maneuver around. So I maneuvered around 2016 very well. You know, I came out on top. There was no issues. I didn't have any vacancies. I didn't have tenants skipping, you know. Um, if I had a tenant who couldn't pay me, I would literally tell them, hey, look, if you can't pay me, you think down the line, just let me know today because I have other tenants who I can put in. And that way you can get out of your lease and I have a, I have a new tenant. That's great. Yeah. So you're working. And with so them. I work with them a lot. <clears throat> so what do you, what do you look for in a tenant when you're like, you know, when people are applying for rent, what do you look for? This is, this is a very interesting question. I have a very unique approach to what I look for. <laughs> uh, most people will look at credit, mm -hmm. background. I, of course, we check background at our, at, at our office as well. But the most important thing for me today in today's world is your social media presence. And if that business is a car wrap business and they have like 50,000 followers, guess what? They're a good business. You know, if they have 100,000 followers, that's even better. I recently put a tenant in one of my warehouse uh, buildings. Houston, we have a party. The girl has that's like- kind of dope. The girl has like a million followers. You think she's going to skip rent? <laughs> you know, because she has a reputation and it's out there. It's, right? like a, it's like a new form of credit check. It's even better than a credit yeah, check. Yeah, it yeah. is literally instant verification. You can tell what type of a person they are. It's pretty interesting. You can tell, you know, what their habits are. Because, you know, look, if you have a tenant that's going out doing drugs, partying all, all the time, guess where you're going to find all that? Mm -hmm. Someone's going to tag them in something, you know, somewhere, and you're going to find it. So I actually don't do that myself. I have virtual assistants all over the world. Love and that. one of that virtual assistants task is literally to check on my tenant's social media profiles, which is public. 
like consistently consistently yeah so if, oh, if we get a that's pretty if, if we like get a job a, almost yeah <laughs> if we get a tenant um and they say hey um i want to start and this is a real story by the way i want to start a luxury automotive storage facility and i was like but, but you're renting 1700 square feet you're gonna well how many cars are you gonna put in there right and so i was like okay uh you know i'll take your driver's license whatever we'll run background and you know just make sure you're legit and then turns out the person buys uh, junk S-classes, Mercedes, comes in, repairs them, and then exports them to a third world country. Okay? Oh, damn. That's so, a hell of a business. I mean, it's a hell of a business, but what that does for the property is it's going to, like, you Devalue know. Devalue it? Yeah, because you're going to have all these junk cars outside. And the reason he probably told me he's an exotic car storage facility is because other people kicked him out, mm -hmm. you know, of their property because of how much junk they have outside. And that's, mm -hmm. a la like, the last thing you want to see is junkers outside your property, right? Right. Yeah, we can't even throw anything more than toilet paper in our trash can. Right. <laughs> and look, this this is for the better of all the businesses. No, 100%. 100%. No, I, I agree. Mean, I mean, that's what we talked about here is like whenever we moved in here, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying we have the best flex space, but compared to every other tenant here, we substantially have increased yeah. the property value of this place. <laughs> exactly. And there's yeah. no doubt about it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, and yeah. so, you know, that's kind of where um, you really need to be. And I think social media is a game changer. No, that's you know, smart. And I feel, yeah. like, I feel like a lot of businesses are kind of doing that now. Yeah. You know, I mean, I feel like if you're going to, you have to be careful what you put on social media. I mean, it's cool that you're doing that too, but I feel like that's definitely becoming like more of a norm of like an auditing process yeah. for, for employment and just like approvals. Mm -hmm. Pretty badass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how do you, okay. So you bought the land in SciFair, right? The, the 12 acre. Before you did that, how did, how did you find like the best place possible? Like how do, how do you do your demographic search? Like do you have a system in place that you kind of look for or you just drive around town? For what? For, 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 for land. land. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I started driving around. Because we live in Houston, bro. Yes. There's yeah. so much land. Right. You know? So I started by driving around. Um, at this point, I use social media to leverage everything. So if I'm looking for land, for example, in Bastrop, Texas, mm -hmm. I'm just going to literally pick up my phone or my camera make a youtube video about it or make a tiktok or an instagram about it right so, so so you're prevalent on social media oh yeah and so uh what's gonna end up happening is someone's gonna reach out to me you know dm hey man look i saw your stuff in bastrop i saw you're looking for stuff in austin um i want to send you these four deals that i have yeah like i watched your youtube video you talked about austin development right. and stuff and uh, i got i got i got a contact out of that uh, oh, somebody, dope. yeah, somebody who has land and they own the land and they want me to come in and build with them. So they're going to JV with me, you know, and I get that all the time. I have to actually now filter how many JVs I can handle oh, that's cool. just because a lot of people have land. They don't know what to do with it. They're like, oh, how do we build this? What do we do? Okay, we're yeah. just going to partner with Hamza, you know, let him deal with it. But the thing is, is that deal flow um, it has become easier because of social media. I leverage it both That's ways. True. So not only do I use it for tenants, tenants actually use it for me. I have a ton of tenants. Hey, I found you on TikTok, bro. I want to rent from you, you know? And mm. some of them are my tenants. That's sick. And yeah, so it's pretty cool. It works both ways because I actually show this space. You know, hey guys, I have this space for lease. Yeah. Come take a look inside. You know, this is what it looks like. Oh, that's cool. This is what I'm asking for it. And then I get, uh, you know, a ton of feedback on that. And then I know where my pricing should be. So I'm, I'm confused now. So it sounds like you do do some sort of property management. No. So, okay, my strategy is... Well, I mean, well you, you guys have been discussing tenants. Well, yes, but my strategy is this, okay? I will buy the land. I will list it for sale immediately the day I buy it, okay? For a higher price. 
and I will do this in multiple locations at the same time, okay? Now, while I list it for sale, I will not stop. I will also apply for my permit. So I'll get the engineering, get the architects to start working, and I will not stop there. It's going to cost me, let's say, $100,000 for a development. I'm not going to stop, okay? If the architect, if, if my engineers and architects are able to give me an approved permit before I was able to sell the land, I'm going to go ahead and start building. Um, at that point, I'm also going to list the property for sale, but now it's higher because it's shovel ready. Mm -hmm. Right, right, so there's right. A premium like you've there. already done your due diligence <laughs> exactly. on the land and everything. Yeah. So the coming buyer, the new buyer doesn't really have to do nothing. He just needs yeah. to come in and literally build. And there's That's a lot awesome. of buyers that look for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So shovel ready. I, I jack up the price a little bit yeah. and I and I list it for sale as a shovel-ready project. Mm. But I don't stop. I actually order the materials, start building. Um, and if I get someone who wants it at shovel-ready for the premium, I sell it there. Mm. If I don't, I'm going to build what we call a phase one, which is one-third of the project. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. so, so, so for multiple projects, there's different exit strategies you have and sometimes business just kind of comes to your door and you sell it whenever you see fit yes so yeah if you're making uh, extra money but just doing you know spending a two thousand three thousand doing a you know survey then well, you, you get a shovel ready you could sell there you do the phase one yeah. you could sell there you yeah. could finish building it sell it there exactly now, awesome. yeah. now the thing okay. is, is of course the later on you hold on to the project the higher the premium that you'll pick up exactly but time value of money once again 100 you know? so if i feel like hey it's going to take me too much time to get there, and I can do it faster if I do two projects with this premium. I'm just going to bail out. And so just not getting attached to yeah. your project also. Yes. Well, I, I'm attached to every project because it has my name on it, yeah, and it's on social media. And, but, yeah. you know, that is the quality of my work rather yeah. than yeah. me actually, like, you know, holding on to it. Because it's yeah. always going to be there. You know, everybody is going to know that this was Hamza's project. He built it at some point. Um, so I don't, I, I also don't skimp out on quality. You know, I like quality. I actually yeah. pay my builders, my GCs a premium to get my projects done faster because once again, time value of money, right? For them, they're like, oh, I'm just paying us 5% over market. But for me, I'm, I'm 2Xing my money faster or 3Xing my money faster, which is just totally worth Damn. whatever whatever I'm going to pay, pay these guys. Exactly. You know, it's pennies on the dollar. Yeah, you're, you're taking yeah. care of your... You know, if he charges you sixty thousand dollars, you're paying him sixty five, like yeah. seventy five thousand. And he's like, "Damn, he's paying me twenty twenty five percent more." Right. But that fifteen thousand will make you an extra three hundred thousand in three months. Exactly, that's yeah. pretty smart. And the and yeah. the extra premium I pay is yeah. always at the end. That's my last payment. Right. So it's like I dangle the you know whatever they call it, the carrot or whatever. <laughs> right. And, and you know it works. These yeah. are strategies yeah. that actually work. It's like, just money at the end of the day. Right? Yeah. And if I'm gonna three <clears throat> x my money in two years versus two years and eight months, it's totally worth it. Yeah. You know? So, so do you, so you did answer one of the, you kind of answered the question, um, but it still sounds like you're renting out properties. Like, because you said you're, you're auditing people's social yes. media, you're showing like, Hey guys, this place is open for so, rent. Yes. So what I, what I do have is I have a team of virtual assistants. Um, and what they, what they assist me with is leasing. So I will do the social media. Once somebody gets in touch with me, I will tell, one of my assistants to touch to touch base with them and help them lease. Now the cool thing about this is is Wait, that you you help them lease for a place that you still own or, or something you've sold. No, it could be either or. Okay. So, but most of the times it's places that I own because once I'm done, you're I, done. You're I'm out. done. Yeah. I usually like I I may like I may be working a lease mm -hmm. and the property transacted, so I'll complete that transaction, like that lease that I was about to sign. Mm -hmm. I'll sign it for the new buyer, but I will not look for new tenants. Because okay. I like to keep that wait list for myself. 
um, yeah. for so, my next project. So, so you're tomorrow. not always selling. Sometimes you have properties that you just sit on. Well, it depends on the price, right? If I'm not getting the price I want, then I have to continue building. And then, or, or just kind of rent it out in the meantime until Correct. you find time exactly. to sell it. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's when the tenants come in. Yes. And okay. that's exactly when, and so my tenants generally um, are with me for three to six months. Okay. Not more than that. So all I'm doing at that time is just collecting rent and, you know, th- keeping, keeping things. Um, Trying to find a buyer. Uh, simple for them. And at the same time, looking for a buyer. And how, what's the process for you to look for a buyer? So buyers actually also reach out to me quite often because I've been in the space now for of so course. long. But, I, but my first project, I sold through a broker. And um, I think she did an amazing job. Um, I haven't touched base with her, in all honesty, since she sold my first property for me. But beyond that, um, I transact basically broker-free, whether it's leasing or selling. Yeah, they um, just contact you directly. And, and yeah. well, and I use uh, for leasing. I spend about when I complete the project. Let's say I, I had to build a phase one, right? And it's ready to to get occupied, or it will be ready to get occupied in the next six months. I start running Facebook ads aggressively. I, I spend about thirty thousand dollars on Facebook ads to get my spots all leased out. And in, usually, in what period of time? I'd say about sixty days, so probably yeah. fifteen thousand a month. And usually I'm able to lease out an entire business park before I actually complete building it. Like, That's let's pretty say, cool. Yeah, so let's say I know that, okay, 60 days from now or around 60 days from now, this is going to be complete. Okay, start running my Facebook ads, right? I target five-mile radio because this is, my, this is my core demographic. I want all the mom and pops in the neighborhood to start their businesses here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm going to spend 15 grand, by the way, which could be one commission check for one tenant. Uh, depending on who the tenant is. So I'm getting a steal, right? Um, and they're dealing directly with the, with the landlord, which makes them comfortable, which makes me comfortable as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, run the ads, get the tenants. Sometimes I have gotten into trouble with projects because there have been delays. Like we anticipated, for example, 60 days. We told all of them, okay, we're going to be done in 60 days. They start advertising that, hey, guys, coming soon, wrap shop, this shop, or whatever, boxing gym, right? And then 60 days passes, and we're like, oh, my God, we're going to need another 60 days. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, you need to keep your tenants happy at that point. So what we do is we start incentivizing them. We're like, okay, guys, you know, we're late. For every day we're late, you don't have to pay us rent. Yeah. So let's say we're late for 30 days. 30 days. 30 days is on me. Oh, nice. You know, once we're done. And this really keeps them hyped and right. keeps me, you know, uh, on you know, your credibility is good too. Right, They're right, not right. like, oh, this guy's just trying to scam me out of my money right. and lock me in place. I can't even move right. anymore. And so yeah. I have had tenants in the past leave because of such delays. Mm. And those delays were primarily due to the pandemic. You know, we just had issues that we didn't foresee. Yeah. And the city's short staffed, the county's short staffed, you know, mm. we're short staffed. So, you know, we ran, I would say, on one project, specific project, about 100 days late so that's almost three months and our tenants were like come on man you told us we were going to start our business we sold this you know they all have uh uh they all have to make arrangements in order to prepare for their business right and so we had to kind of absorb all that cost and we had to give it to them we're like okay you know what once you guys get this we're gonna we're gonna give you three months free you know we don't want we don't want your money uh and then we ended up selling the project you know that's great yeah Um, so, you know, you just kind of have to work with... So when you sell it, do you make sure that they get those three months free? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's in the contract. It's in the lease. So when the buyer buys it, he knows that, okay, I'm not going to make money for, you know, 60 days or whatever. Okay. Right. Cool. And usually what ends up happening is, let's say I sign the lease today. 
uh, that said three months free. Usually it takes your buyer about three months to close on a deal because they need to secure financing right, and right. funding and, you know, all their loan processes. So I think it, it was timed well to where they actually didn't. Uh, They're still working with you before right? you sell. Right. So gotcha. and it worked out well for them because they still cash flow day one. When they bought the property, I was the one yeah. who took the hit, you know, but I mean, mm -hmm. it's okay. It's all right. It's, uh, once again, not too much in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Time value of money. So, so <laughs> it's, um, we probably go on a water break after this. I know you need some water. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've been doing this for seven years now and you've primarily focused only on flex spaces. If there's one thing you could do differently or, or multiple things you could do differently and go back and change, what would you, what would you do differently? So this is a very important thing, actually. I think that's a great question. And what I would do differently is I would market a deal to investors while searching for the deal at the same time. So not actually have the deal in hand that I'm marketing. What, do you, the, what do you mean by that? So in the past, it's a vicious cycle, right? You have to find the deal, make find it work. Find the deal as in flying the land. Like, yeah, find the land, you know, make sure all the numbers work, and then pitch that land to the investors, mm. right? So until you don't find the land, you can't pitch anything to the investors, right? And if you find the investors first and you don't have the land, so you have nothing to pitch to them. Like, what are you going to do? Like, have a cup of coffee, you know? I mean, there's really nothing you can talk to them about. But what you could do and what I have learned is that you could uh, create a scenario, a generic scenario, and tell them, look, this is how I think it's going to pan out. So I would create, like, a generic deck, or I would mm. have if I could go back and tell them, look, this is what I think it'll look like. You know, this is these are renderings. This is not a real project. But this is kind of what I'm working towards. And... It's not that I want them to invest yet, but it starts creating awareness. And they, they know that, okay, Hamza, is, this is what he's trying to do, and he's actively raising money for this, right? My, my mistake, I think, was with, with the investor part was I actually waited every time till I actually found that specific piece of property, ran all the due diligence on it, did all my numbers, made sure that, you know, they were like very close to what I thought they were going to be, which by the way, they never work out that way. Whatever numbers you have on your pitch deck, they never actually work out. It's either way over or way under what you thought it was going to be. It's never that, <laughs> that number. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I would have done is I would have probably started pitching to investors day one. Um, that's something I didn't do. Um, I don't have any regrets. Uh, but had I done it, I think my company would have been uh, much larger than what it is today. So, so I asked that question because, you know, I'm headed into this space too. You close on the land in two weeks. And I have the same scenario where I have, like, I think it's more my excitement. You know, I'm, I'm like pitching it to multiple people. Like I've told all my friends about this, this whole like scenario that I'm doing. It's like, um, you know, private lending is probably the biggest thing because like when you go initially, you go to a, a, you know, credit union or something like that and you have no proof of concept, it's, it's going to take a lot longer for you to get this whole thing settled. Right. So I'm, I'm in the same boat where I'm just like, you know, we're about to close on the land, but we don't want to use our own money um, or like go to the credit union and get turned down multiple times, delay the project. So the reason why I ask you this question is like, I feel like I'm, literally doing the same thing that you're talking about is I'm pitching it to investors already. Like, Hey, we have this land. It's going to cost us around 2.2 to build a two phase project, you know, just so you know, you know, like that's kind of what I'm doing too. I, I love, um, and it feels like we, I, I have a very similar like train of thought because I feel like I'm going in the same direction. Um, you know, obviously I'm inspired by you, by, by you doing this and David and I are freaking 
you know, we, when we leased this space, we encountered so many issues, like so many issues that we wish like a landlord like you would help us prevent. Um, but it's also like, was our ignorance in the beginning of like coming into the space right. and seeing like, okay, we just looked at the rent. We didn't see like how many things we had to fix in order to get to that point. Yeah. And a quality standpoint that you talk about in one of the most important measures is like quality of the building itself. And maybe it's because this building's a little bit older. I think it was built in 08. Um, but, you know, we look at this space and we're just like, man, like this differently, this differently, this differently. But so. it's also like what he said. I mean, like if you don't make these mistakes, you don't learn anything from it. Yeah. And, and yeah. now look, yeah. wait, 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 we made this. I would even say it's a mistake. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, it's okay for what we're doing. Right. right. But now you're like, you know what? I'm going to build my own buildings now. Yeah. That's literally, yeah. I <laughs> literally, know? we re literally rented this space and then I found you on TikTok. It was like this cycle or it was just like this perfect timeline. And then I sat down with my best friend. I was like, yo, let's build warehouses. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, fuck this place, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Let yeah. me ask you, what did you guys end up fixing? Oh, dude, you should have seen. I'll, Dave, I'll show you pictures of what this place looked like before. But, dude, these walls weren't even white. There was holes everywhere. It, yeah. it was a shithole. Yeah. So, so absolute no, shithole. No, no insulation. Pa floors, you know, were just concrete, bare concrete. I'll just show you a picture so you can yeah. get like, holes yeah. everywhere. Uh, this behind you is actually the warehouse bay door. We built yeah. a false wall. We talked about it. Um, we put an AC unit. So now you guys are going to be on the other side of that when you guys build. Yeah, yeah right? 100%. And isn't that a good thing? It's for you amazing. As now, a landlord? Yeah, because now we get to say, you know what, guys? And I, I think like the three of us have this, this key commonality in mind that we speak very highly of quality over everything. Right. And we care about the customers that come in because we're like, man, like I never want to rent a space anymore that I. I never want to give someone a space Here's anymore that, that I wouldn't rent myself. Yeah, that's <laughs> this is basically this is basically unfinished. Yeah. Like this is literally not it was, even a finished. It was product. fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah. fucking terrible. So but yeah. We, but we walked in and to be honest, for a space like this, there is a, some water. There is a lot of customizations that we wanted, you know. So it it just made more sense for us to I I mean, maybe now looking at the grand scheme of things of how much we've spent to like kind of add insulation, renovate renovate painters add an ac unit i mean for like the fifty thousand dollars we've probably put into this we could have put that to maybe being in a nicer place and use that to distribute it over a few months to pay for that rent you know and obviously attract maybe even a higher clientele i agree like, you know what i'm saying i agree but you know i think about all of this from the landlord perspective yeah and just being a landlord in this space is so easy because the businesses need customization but that doesn't mean that the landlord has to provide them, right? I mean, exactly. It's, it's, it's your business. You have yeah. to do the build out. And now you guys are going to be on the other side of that and you're going to take advantage of that because guess yeah. what? When you rent out retail, like I just, I just bought, uh, I just rented to own my office building. And yeah, the one on Riverstone. Yeah. And yeah. guess what? The landlord's giving me a $225,000 build out allowance. To right? do whatever you want? Yeah. I mean, to build my office because wow. I mean, because I'm renting a shell, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. An office warehouse. Nobody's giving anybody an allowance. Yeah, definitely right? not. Uh, it's like, yeah. can we get an allowance? No. It's, it's because the rent's so cheap. Well, that's like, the, so well, that's the other thing. Rent is, um, you. I think rent is not cheap everywhere. It's uh, not, but I'm saying like, like for here, like let's just say she's charging us 3000 a month. Why would she give us any bit of allowance yes, for that? Yes, you know, exactly. It wouldn't make sense. Yes. Yeah, 100%. And but, but if you're paying 20, 30K a month, 
and you've signed maybe like a three, four year lease. Yeah. Here, here's a little. How, how long is your lease? Uh, we only signed one year. Okay. So, so it's up in July of this year, but we're going to definitely extend it. <laughs> <laughs> so I love one year tenants. Yeah. I love one year tenants. You know, my bank, they yeah. hate one year tenants. They're like, Hamza, <laughs> you need to stop signing one year because, you know, they, they need they a sense of security. 100%. Right? They need to that be cushion. secure. They're like, Hamza, why don't you sign five leases? I'm like, guys, I don't hold the project for a year. What do you care if I sign one year or five year? What yeah. are you going to do? They're still making their money. Right. And, I, yeah. and I'm out, you know? No, we're definitely extending because uh, I don't know if Debbie told you, but we spent, uh, you know, around $50,000 on this yeah. place. You know, just to got, give you guys some perspective, our studio is 1,600 square feet. So, you know, we spent $50,000. So what is that per square foot? 50000 divided by 1,600. Uh, $30? You think? Yeah, that's uh, I th- thirty dollars, thirty one, thirty one dollars. But yeah. that includes all your equipment. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that yeah. Equipment. What equipment? Taking, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you're, you're, you're taking your equipment with you, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's great. So, so the the another question I want to ask you is um. Real estate has a lot of, uh, has a lot of different, you know, realms, right? You have your residential, you have your commercial. But in those two spaces, so we're going to talk about like is like commercial is what we're talking about is just flex spaces. And then families, I know you you have sold a lot of multifamily assets, yes. right? So what what do you think is the pros and cons? So what would you choose? Would it be flex spaces or would it be uh, multifamily and why? And what is multifamily? Multifamily is basically apartment communities. Um, very, very common here in Houston, Texas. Not so common in other uh, states I learned. Um, like, for example, in Florida... You have multifamily and then you have these condos that people, yeah, yeah, yeah. That people associate with multifamily, but they're not because uh, condos are individually like deeded. Uh, multifamily, you literally buy an apartment complex. It's one deed. It's one transaction. It's like know. 30, 30, yeah, 30 50, 100, mm. 200, 500, yeah. right? Um, and believe it or not, I actually built the bulk of my wealth in multifamily. I just got tired of dealing uh, with the property, property management, management. Okay. Uh, mm. component of it. And I think what happened is uh, after the pandemic, um, I realized I was lucky enough to sell my entire portfolio right before the pandemic pandemic hit. I had because um, a lot of people didn't pay rent for residential and well, still aren't. Right? I was I was I was I was on the front end of that, so I didn't get to see too much of that. Yeah, but but then exactly you're what you're tiny. talking about happened. I yeah. had a smaller portfolio that the larger company did not want to buy. It was 400 units divided in like six or seven different communities, so all of them were like less than 100 units. And less than 100 units is very difficult to manage because they don't generate enough income for you to uh, create jobs in them. So you have to have mm. part-time people roaming around, um, you know, these communities. And, you know, then the hardship hit. You had people, you know, pass away in the community. Then you have uh, crime increased significantly in all of these apartment communities. Um, you know, just s- situations where you're not able to collect rent and, uh, you know, you have to pay investors somehow. And we actually had two communities specifically that did not pay investors returns in like a year and a half Holy shit. in these smaller communities. Yeah. The larger ones, they can kind of hold their own because yeah. there's just such an influx of the, 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 the numbers are big enough to where it works. Mm-hmm. The smaller they, like com- it'll even out yeah. like the people paying rent versus the people right. not paying the rent. The smaller right. communities, you really struggle with them because if you have like a 30 unit community and 10 yeah. aren't paying rent, and the 20, you need to pay off the debt, the insurance, you know, all the other stuff. You really have not much cash flow coming in. Right. And so 
what I then realized is, you know what? I don't think I want to deal with property management because, you know, I had managers who were getting sick and it was just, it was just very messy. Yeah. And that's when I really realized that, you know, I think I want to automate this entire process. But guess what? When it comes to residential or multifamily, you can't automate as much as you would like to. Mm -hmm. You need somebody in the leasing office because if you yeah. have a... Yeah, like have, a bro broken AC unit, a leak in the roof. Right. And, yeah. and, and then the tenants have circumstances, you know, like, yeah. oh, you know, my mother died, which is true. Right. Mm -hmm. And I won't be able to pay my rent. I had a, I had a, I had a excellent tenant, amazing tenant, older lady, lived in one of my apartment communities for 17 years, wow. got, got diagnosed with cancer, terminal, and she couldn't go to work. And now she can't go to work. And I have history with this tenant yeah. for five years on yeah. time, every time, grabs the bus, goes to work, comes home, pays rent. Very quiet, you know, amazing tenant to have. Terminal cancer. And she comes to our office and she's like, look, I just got diagnosed with terminal cancer. I'm not going to be able to make rent. Oh, no. What do you do? Yeah. Right? What do you do? And so I, I was like, okay, we'll pay your rent. It doesn't matter, you know. Uh, nobody needs to know. I actually personally paid that tenant's rent for like two months. But then after two months, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right? And so... I, you know, or people in my position have to report to other people who are money driven, right? You promised us you were going to give us this return. You have vacancies. And this is just one such scenario, mm -hmm. right? You can imagine with a portfolio of 1400 doors, you get many such scenarios on a daily basis. Yeah, because like there was like a Texas law for like an executive order where you can't evict them no. during the pandemic, no, right? No, no. So, Damn. Um, so, you know, but these stories... You can't automate this. You know what I mean? Yeah. With an office warehouse, you can automate the entire process because this is a business, right? And yeah. so I realized that at that point, you know, multifamily, you can automate up to a certain point, but you can't go beyond that because you'll have circumstances that are just very unique and you need human interaction. And I wanted to eliminate that entirely. And so what I did is multifamily is gone. This is the new thing. It's growing. It's cheap to build. You can sell it for a ton of money and you can automate the process completely. Like, I don't know how, what you, you know, what processes your landlord has in place, mm -hmm. but I could run this from the Bahamas, from Puerto Rico, from wherever she, I am. She don't, she don't do anything. Right. She's like, <laughs> exactly. She's like, <laughs> she's like, there's a, there's a, so our landlord. <laughs> what here? Yeah. She don't do anything. Our landlord included the AC, right? So like initially when I was signing the lease, I was like, great she you know includes the ac there's a fucking leak <laughs> i call her and she's like you gotta take care of it on your own i was like wait what do you mean you included it but i gotta take care of it she was like i just gave it to you but you gotta pay for the damages i was like god damn it you know, you know what i mean like but yeah true automation like she doesn't i mean you can look at the building she doesn't even power wash this right. 08 probably <laughs> right. you know what i mean like <laughs> So this is definitely true automation. And, you know, actually, she's really lucky that, uh, and we are really lucky. We have amazing neighbors. Yeah. Like, I, honestly, no, yeah, you guys no one complains. I, I noticed that. You guys have great neighbors. I mean, we They're did the, quiet. Like, when I first pulled up, I was like, Daniel, what the fuck did you find? Like, I don't want to move yeah. here. Yeah. And, and, he, and he was like, just, just trust me. Just trust yeah. me. And, like, I met everybody from top to bottom. So cool such nice like local family businesses right. and honestly the area is like really safe and i mean yeah w i think we both wish it maybe looked a little better a little nicer on yeah. the outside but 
we, we definitely the got on the inside that counts. We definitely I mean? got blessed with having like really nice neighbors. Uh, look, I think you did, and I think you got a good deal, and you got a you know decent product. Yeah, like, yeah. And like, I mean, you guys made it your own, which is the best part. So when you know now that you guys are gonna be on the other end of this, yeah. like as landlords, when your yeah. tenants make these type of improvements, it'll make you so happy. It'll be like, man, you know, she these doesn't guys, even know we've done. Yeah, this. that that, that uh, yeah. That, no, that's a good perspective. Like, so what do you think? She if she. she if she ever comes in here, what do you think her first impressions would yeah, be? Yeah, I think, man, look, I have tenants that come in and spend a ton of money on their warehouse spaces. Yeah. Okay, Like, they just make it their own. They make it like a second home almost. Yeah. And I just get so happy when they do that because, you know, number one, it's their business. And they want it to be professional. Um, they want it to be presentable, right? Um, but at the same time, you have a sense of almost like a guarantee that, you know, this person is really not going anywhere mm. unless, unless I kick them out, you know? Oh, that's yeah, a that's, good idea. That's, 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 that's pretty, smart. And so when tenants spend money, like 50000 on a spot, guess what, man? These guys are not really going anywhere, you know? And yeah, now true. that you guys build and you guys are going to get to see that firsthand, you guys are going to be like, yeah, I, I love my tenants. I know? can't wait for you to see it, man. I'm making this shit look like. The Apple warehouses. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be like either, like all black and white LEDs everywhere. So I what mean, have you costed per square foot? Um, So it, it estimated around 75 to 90. Oh, that's right not now. bad. Yeah. So we, we, we found the, an amazing GC that builds for Sam. And um, he, you know, gave us the whole proposal. And it was an absolutely amazing deal. And, uh, you know, now we're closing the land in two weeks. And then we're, you know, forwarding to the architectural drawings. And then, uh, but that's, you know, you, you've definitely given me an amazing insight at like the processes simultaneously done as you're, you know, developing. Cause you know, I drove down highway 90 and there's, there's flex spaces building, right? right? We talked to the owners, they sold every single unit, right? So 1600 square foot, they sold each unit for $375,000. It costed them, um, $120,000 to build each space. Yeah. And they're not even finished. Yep. So I, I love the value that you're kind of teaching us because not only are you, you've seen a new generation using social media because in 2013, this was not a thing. You know, using Instagram, having clout, like this was not a thing in 2013. Nope. So I love that like you're taking this modern day method and you're actually using it to benefit your business because that's amazing. Um, and I was talking to... Uh, you know, my friends about it and my business partner about it. Like, yo, when we build this place, I'm going to tell like my subscribers and my followers, like, Hey, I have warehouses come lease for me as a small business owner. Um, and so like, it's literally what you're saying. And I, I it's, it's really amazing, man. Yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. I look, I think now is the time where, uh, once you build this like personal brand around, yeah. uh, around you, you mm -hmm. know, finding tenants just becomes so much easier and then filtering through them becomes even more easier because they know exactly what you're talking about and most of your messages are going to be like hey i saw your video on tiktok i'm interested yeah this is my business uh when can i come and take a look right so so you started with three hundred fifty thousand dollars. you bought the piece of land let's just say you didn't sell anything up until today today how much do you think in total that entire portfolio would be worth in seven years so i don't want to i don't want to think about that because i did sell yeah and so you know everything i sold is worth significantly more right. than what i sold but the total cost and uh this includes everything like the debt and you know everything investor money and all right. of that um 
when I sold my business in 2020 was around 270 million dollars. Sheesh. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> That's and, and had I not sold, it yeah. would be worth about 30% more today. Seven years from $300,000 yeah. to $270 million profit. Right. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that is fucking amazing. That that's so crazy, man. Right. What would you say to someone that wants to get in this business but maybe doesn't have three hundred fifty thousand dollars? I would say, you know, you can start with much less than that. Um, it just depends on how long it takes you to get the investors to invest in it, right? So I could start today with zero dollars. Like I have projects that I literally have zero dollars in. It's all fully investor funded. Um. When I started out, the first question my investors would ask is, Hamza, how much money are you investing in this deal? Because they want to know if I have skin. At, at this yeah, point, they want to know skin in the game. Yeah. yeah, at this yeah. point, they don't care. They're like, look, man, we know what you're doing. We want in, you know? Yeah. The, 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 the tone has completely changed now to where they want in versus they're still trying to gauge. Because you have they, a proof of concept. Exactly. Not yeah. only that, it's just social media, man. I just record everything I see, I like, I post, you know, um, I talk about as much as I can. Yeah. And I, I, I literally genuinely want to just educate people. And as a byproduct of that, people just want to invest with me. I think that's why, like, I was so fond of you because you can, you know, we've done social media for so many years. We're able to spot um, personality. Right. Um, you know, you, you seem just like humble about the whole, I mean, $270 million, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that's nothing to sneeze about, you know, and you're super humble. You're, you're modest. And you're most importantly, you're willing to help people. And that, I think that's the biggest thing. So like you talk about the syndication, this LP that you're kind of doing for projects now that you're investing $0. Can someone with as little as like $25,000 jump into the project for you? So I'm you? currently working on, so the world of syndication is a very tr tricky world and there's a lot of compliance um, that you need to get familiar with. Um, I used to operate under what's called a regulation D. And uh, yes, the minimum for that was $25,000, mm -hmm. um, but there are conditions, right? Like investors need to be accredited. They need to have a certain net worth and all of that. Mm, okay. And although I love that and that is my history, I actually want to change that now. And so there's a new regulation called Regulation CF, which is essentially the crowdfunding of real estate. And so I'm actually looking to take that number down um, so that I can get anyone and everyone to invest in my upcoming fund, not just rich people. Wow. And, so uh, like an average Joe with just $25,000 that they want from crypto. Yes. They can so just drop 25 grand. In I no, no, he, he's saying less than 25. I want to, I want to well, go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but, but like it, without but, the whole like, right. You know, approval process. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I actually want to go down and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this um, because there's going to be a lot of management of investors, but mm -hmm. I want to go down as low as $5,000. Wow. That's awesome. Per man. investor. And anybody and everybody is free to invest at their own will. And so what, what's typically like the time of return that um, they would see their investment back? Two to three years. Okay. So if I, let's just say I drop five grand, I don't see any return until two to three years. I don't even get any interest like during the meantime. because no, we're building those projects. Now, there's mm, a lot of okay. funds, um, larger funds that will actually give you a return while it's under construction. Mm, okay. um, but that's a very tricky process because, and I'll tell you why, they're actually in essence returning your money back to you. Okay. So what happens is, let's say the project is worth um, $12 million, they'll raise $14 million instead of 12. Uh -huh. um, and then out of that $2 million, they'll actually start paying you guys mm. 
but it, in essence, um, it is your like, like like pay you back here. So you're five thousand. Yes, exactly. So in, uh, that's kind of your money. They're just giving it back to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, and that's something that you can do legally. But I mean, to me, it doesn't make sense. If the project is going to cost twelve million, what you know, I'm just going to raise twelve million and just carry yeah. on, and then yeah. you know, just two to three years down the line, yeah. you get paid. Yeah. Well, what doesn't make sense to me is why would you put five thousand in just to get five thousand back? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, look. Um, well, this is just to entice people, at, like they're they're afraid to risk bigger money or whatever the case may be. No, I know. I'm just saying, you know? like for for some, like if you want to do this whole thing where you want to reduce the rates from twenty five thousand to as low as five thousand, right. what would the return for someone's investment at five thousand typically look like? I think our returns for investors um, are typically, um, you know, I like to be a little conservative, but I I like to throw the fifteen percent a year number to our right. investors. Yeah, that's great. Um, so over the two years, they would get like a 30% return? Yeah. So every year, it's about 15%. Um, we've had, look, we've had projects that have done 300%. You know, yeah. we've had projects that have done 10% a year. Yeah. Um, I like to stay in that 15, you know, percent range. I think it's reasonable. I think if anybody offers people more than that, yeah. um, you know, you get lucky sometimes. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to happen every You're time. You're trying to, un- like, under-promise, over-deliver. Right, right. I mean, we're yeah. always trying to over-deliver, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, even sure. with the 10%. That you know, we're always trying to over deliver. Yeah, it's just that you have things that happen that are out of your control. Like you know, we had a project um, that we during the winter storm uh, racked up a bill for four hundred thousand dollars, a bill that we were unaware of. Oh yeah, I I because um, I was in the industry, uh, the energy industry for right. a while, so I heard about all that, and uh, a lot of people went. I mean, a lot of energy companies went out of business. Right. You know, it's just something that they couldn't control is the TDSP charge, right? Right. So that nobody could charge because it was straight from Reliant. Right. You know, their grid overpowered. And yeah. and so, you know, that was just, that was totally out of our control. It's like, yeah. how do you uh, how do you, you know, bypass that? And yeah. you can't. So it's like, oh, OK, you know, we're, you know, we're just going to have to deal with it and move on. Yeah. Of course, now we didn't pay four hundred thousand. But I mean, that was yeah. the bill. Um, there was a lot of back and forth. And I think yeah. we ended up settling. But, you know. Uh, it was still a large yeah, amount yeah. of money. Like I had at small businesses, you know, come to me like restaurants and stuff like that. Um, when I was doing energy, like, but they're still like, you know, still there under their contract. They're small restaurants that typically their bill was like fifteen hundred, was forty thousand. Right. It was freaking insane. Yeah, you it know? was crazy. Yeah, people were like, "Oh, you're scamming me!" You know, it was like because they don't know the industry, you know. But um, but yeah, I mean, so raining. Oh, yeah. Oh. We should probably wrap it up then because you're going to hear this for sure. Another thing that, should we, should yeah. we, that's a downfall of all should this. We, should we pause for a couple minutes just to see where it goes? Yeah. Yeah. Just pause for a couple I just, minutes. I just yeah. know that cold front's coming in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's probably going to be raining all night. Technical difficulties. We'll, we'll, I mean, let's give it a couple of minutes yeah. and then we'll decide. If not, we'll just wrap it up. Yeah. Oh, here you go. That's... Like a B. Yeah, a B. so... A million with a B. <laughs> so, so this is probably something I've never mentioned on social media because even yeah. I'm afraid of, like, the B word. Yeah. Uh, but I do think I sold out too early the yeah. first time. And I think now with the pandemic coming to, like, kind of sort of an end, um, things are getting back to normal. Texas yeah. is the new, you know, number one again. Crazy what's um, happening And I think I can do it. Um... And of course, what is life without a challenge? So this gives me purpose. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna get to a billion dollars in the next couple of years, and say that I achieved. You know, I got to a billion dollars. Um, I don't think that really has any relevance as to you know like what it would do for my life. Yeah. Um, 
but I do think um, that it gives me something to stay busy and it gives me a sense of purpose almost, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think really when that is going to begin is going to be when my new office opens up. Because right now, yeah. my, you know, my office is just, uh, I don't really have an office anymore since I sold my business and most yeah. of my assets and everything. Um, I think when my office opens, that is really when we're going to be pushing hard. So, so, so the person who bought your business, the company that bought your business, they bought everything. Yeah, they bought everything except for the smaller assets because, okay. like, they were too small for them. But, like, even your office, your employees, like, your, you everything. know, everything. Wow. Everything, okay. yeah. So the management company Damn. plus the actual assets. And, you know, it's funny because um, I, I was like, wow, you know, this is my company. This is what it's worth. Uh, why don't you guys come and take a look? And so they came a look and they said, look, your assets are okay, but your management company is kind of shitty, you know? I mean, I don't think you know what you're doing. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and this is something that, you know, a lot of people uh, should know. If you are planning to sell, which I am always planning to sell, yeah, um, you should structure your business from the get-go in order to be sold. I mean, you may think you're running the best business in the world, uh, but if it's not structured to be sold, you're not going to get the multiple that you're looking for. So there were a lot of, lot of things that we had to change in the business in order to make it a little more efficient. Um, the way income was coming into the company, for example, mm -hmm. you know, we had income coming in into each property and then from each property, uh, we were paying payroll for certain employees mm -hmm. in the management company, mm -hmm. right? And so now we had to redirect all those funds because we need to show income and expense in our management company, right, which right, we weren't right. doing. And so, you know, they're very basic things now that I think about it. I mean, it only makes sense. You know, I mean, if yeah. this person is getting paid at the management level, then obviously the money should come here. But these are all inefficiencies that at the time, you know, we didn't really yeah, think yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like you didn't know you were doing it wrong. Otherwise you wouldn't. Yeah, doing exactly. It wrong. So yeah. when these guys came in and evaluated the business, they're like, well, you know, your management company is really not worth anything. I'm but like, that's actually great because now they're giving you like a lesson. They yeah. taught you a lesson that like yeah. you're, you're, you know, relinquishing it towards your new business. That right. would be 10 times more efficient. Right. So that's not only did they cool. teach us, they actually guided us on how to like, uh, like move the money around in order to, you know, make it because they didn't want to, they don't want to buy another management business right right they want a machine that's running it has its processes it has all the systems so they only wanted to acquire the assets if the management company was run correctly because the management company is what's going to run everything so they so they taught you how to fix it and then they bought it and then that's, yes that's pretty interesting cool. yes. yeah that's yeah. awesome actually yeah. so they guided us on how exactly they wanted it we structured it that way and we sold damn that's cool yeah exactly and so, now i can i can use that process yeah. for my next business so aside from the management stuff um, you know, it seems like you've had a, a lot of successes, you know, name, name the biggest failure that you've had so far, man, the biggest failure. I haven't talked about this. Uh, and I don't know if I want to just, That's okay. um, and the reason is, is because, uh, I, I had an issue a couple of years ago, uh, with an immigration attorney who scammed me out of like $835,000 processing, immig processing immigration for me. And, uh, Holy shit. I thought he was going to do one thing and he did a completely different thing. And, uh, it's a situation that is in court right now Yeah, and we're trying to, you know, get our money back. And it's just a process because, you know, the thing is civil lawsuits take forever and he's yeah. an attorney as well. So uh, Holy that's, shit. That's even worse. Right. Um, oh my yeah. gosh. So you, you can't sue him for malpractice. Well, he you doesn't. Him for fraud? He, so he doesn't have malpractice insurance or whatever it is that he needs to have. Wow. Yeah, and that's a real. That's a tough one, man. Like you know, I, I don't think I've ever told anyone that before. Damn. But that's probably my biggest failure. 
till today. So nothing business related. Yeah, so it yeah, was just yeah. getting scammed. It was basically getting scammed. Yeah, and wow. it was tough, man. It was a tough time, you know. Um, Damn, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Um, and uh, it's just something that happened, and I I think I realized that I got scammed way after the fact, and so you know it was just constantly on my mind. It was like a worry on my mind at the time. Yeah, I I, I mean. I feel you on the civil lawsuits. I, it's draining psychologically. Right. Yeah. But you know, it's something that doesn't bother me anymore. Uh, yeah. You, you learn to really live past these things and right. go, carry on with your daily life. That's what yeah. a lot of people tell me. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't bother me anymore, but of course, you know, uh, you want to think that you're number one, you're the best, you achieved all this success in business. You can, you know, no one is above you. And then this ends up happening and you're and like, you, shit, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, right. And it's just something that, uh, it, it, you know, I, I think that was probably uh, my biggest failure. In business, I don't think I've had any failures. But then again, um, I'm trying to think, you know, I, I, you know, in real estate, I don't think it's me. I just think real estate is a very safe environment to play in. As long yeah, as, I heard you talk about real estate is a better investment than crypto. I mean, if you're making, man, if you're making uh, 50% a year, which mm -hmm. people can yeah, in real estate, mm -hmm. why invest in the stock market? Why invest in crypto? I mean, you have 50%. If you focus and you put your head down and you get to work, you can make 50% a year on real estate. If you leverage correctly and you do the business right, yeah, I don't think that's a problem. Yeah. Damn, that's, a, that's an interesting take. Damn. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's that's, that's a tough one. Yeah, man. that's that. Sorry that happened, man. <laughs> yeah, that's all right, yeah. man. You know, it was it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. What what would you say is your biggest struggle right now? Um, you know, life's good, man. I don't think I struggle anymore. Um, I will tell you this: I don't uh, operate my business anymore. So I actually have a CEO, and my biggest struggle was at one point um, realizing that. I'm probably not the best person to run my business. So my business is called Hamza Invest, my new fund and, you know, all of that. And uh, I, uh, I trained somebody who was, you know, under me. And she turned out to be better than me in negotiating contracts, finding deals, you know. Uh, and that's hard to do. Working pricing. <laughs> that's, that's, no, like the yeah. person that he found and being able to relinquish literally your entire life right. to just one person is right. really hard to Put do. Put that trust in them. Yeah, yeah dude. And, that's, you know, and hard. she's just a machine. And at one point, I was like, you know what? I think you actually need to run my company. And uh, I think that was hard on both me and her at the time. Yeah. And uh, I think that is probably, uh, you know, I guess one of the most, like, difficult things I've had to do in, in a while. So, you know, but it worked out and it's working out great. So, you know, I'm just going to let let it ride. In fact, I've even given her equity in my business. That's sick. Yeah. Is this the business yeah. that you sold? No. So we started our, our new fund. Yeah. Uh, it's called Hamza Invest. Invest. Okay. And it's basically, uh, we started it as a joke, mm. uh, our new fund. And this is the company that I plan on taking to a billion dollars. Let's go. Uh, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> so it's going to be a funny story. Hopefully, if we get there one day. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, I had a TikTok handle and it was Hamza Invest. So yeah. we decided to create an LLC <laughs> and then make it a billion dollar company. That's fucking cool. You know? Jeez. So, okay, I had, I had this really good question. 
and it seems like every single time I'm about to ask a question, you're like already in that realm. So what what does your your new organization look like? That that's so different, you know. Aside from the, the whole like management side that you you know you learned, what does it look like? So we're gonna lose the suits and the shiny well, shoes. I love that. Uh, it's gonna be hoodies and jeans. Hey, you know? let's go. And uh, <laughs> and that's how we're gonna meet people, and that's how we're gonna talk, and that's how we're gonna present. And you know, it's gonna be more chill. I think times have changed significantly. Yeah, uh, I am getting a little older, uh, but at the same time, I am noticing a huge shift in 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 corporate culture that I would like to create. So I think people will be the same. The culture will be completely different. You know. Yeah, I mean, I I met my I met my mentor. You know, I didn't know he'd be my mentor. You know, until well, rain's back. There's the rain back. Powerful rain. You, m- you might not hear it, but I have a pretty good feeling you- you'd hear this. Okay, hold on. Give it a second. <laughs> Take a quick pause. I'm gonna check the weather. <coughs> it says it's gonna rain at 11. It's just on and off, I feel like. Yeah, it's gonna be freezing. Yeah, soon. All it's week. Over the, it's o- no, over the weekend, right? O- over the weekend and then all the week? Man, I had an awesome trip planned. We're almost done. I think we I have like two, three more questions. Okay. We should be able to wrap it up. But before we leave, though, to prevent like anything from here like bursting, should I leave the heater on? No, the heater only cools stuff internally. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know, but should, should, should I keep anything in here warm? No. I think the only stuff that bursts is the stuff outside. Yeah. I don't think you're well, going like to have Like the pipes anything. and stuff. No, these are all internal pipes. You'll be fine. Yeah. These are the sprinkler system. So, okay. Um, it's like we have the sprinkler system back there, but other than that, everything is external okay we don't you know necessarily control cool uh yeah okay so just give it a second it's so cool how he can hear it in the mics but yeah but take it off and it's like substantially less yeah yeah it's it's just gonna make it sound a lot louder yeah so you should have heard it before the insulation oh yeah (laughs) bro freaking like pellets (laughs) yeah you shouldn't even talk shooting bb gun pellets at that little classic (laughs) so (laughs) <laughs> are, the, are the ones you build insulated? The ones I build, actually, uh, we have this special insulation, so we don't use this. The panels? Yeah, so it's like, it's not, well, it's not a panel, it's a roll, but it's like eight inches uh, thick. Oh, Is wow. it silver? Yes, and then we roll that all the way, and then if tenants need, like, extra insulation, then they foam over that. Mm. Yeah, we've, that's a five-inch open-cell foam. Right. Uh, you know, it was just sheet metal, literally, like yeah. 100 30 degrees in here. <laughs> yeah. No, insulation yeah. is important, man. Yeah, very, and very. I, I feel like in winter, it keeps the place cooler. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, before we put the AC unit to kind of climate control it, because if people are going to rent this space out in Houston during yeah. the summer, it needs to be cool. Right. So we did, we uh, put that in, still was not cold. It was yeah. still not cold in yeah. here. So we insulated this <clears throat> a lot better. But the main reason we built this wall was to seal off that gate. Yeah. Because everything was escaping right. out that yeah. gate. right. Yeah, so we, we really had to like insulate this thing from front to back, top to bottom, side to side. Yeah. Yeah. So like, okay, so we're resuming. Um, <laughs> I met, um, you know, my mentor, he was, he was here at the event. He brought the two McLarens. Um, I don't know if you met him, but uh, he's in the energy sector, very, very highly in the real estate space as well. And ever since I met him in 2012, He's never worn a suit. Yep. He's always worn Lululemon to close his biggest deals. Just 
you know, a t-shirt from Lulu and, and some joggers and that's it. And, you know, I've really learned that throughout the years that suits the formality of that becomes less and less, uh, appetizing to a lot of people. Like people want to see you feel loose yep. in the space. They, they, they want to see you for who you really are. Yeah. They want to see the casual vibe. Like yeah. this guy's confident. You know, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him the deal because not only in his track history, but he carries himself really well. There, there's right. nothing to prove. There's nothing yeah, to... Yeah, like some guy coming in a $5,000 Armani suit trying to impress you. It's like, well, obviously he hasn't done anything impressive. <laughs> you know what I mean? If he's trying to impress me with his suit, but... And you see that in Hollywood or just like in like big corporate positions like Bill Gates. He's not going to... You'll yeah. see tons of Mark photos... Mark Zuckerberg just won a t-shirt. Yeah, you Everyone see you goes. see some of these brilliant mega billionaires, you know, just yeah. chilling. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, you know, I I do agree to a certain point where yes, sometimes you're gonna need it. However, yeah. yes, I I a suit has saved my ass many a time. Oh, yeah, when I was first starting, you know yeah. what I mean? A hundred percent for for what you're doing right, right. now, like, but you, you, you'll you'll attract those people too. I think yeah. the minute I I started getting a social media following, that is when the suit became not relevant anymore because right. like, people already know you it's yeah, a, exactly just, so it's like oh you already know me so i you know that's it yeah you know? i'm good yeah correct so what would you say is your greatest superpower my greatest it, superpower is i think i just don't um i i have an immigrant mindset so uh, what that means is um and i and i think you guys will relate to this um is that we don't calculate working in hours, you know, um, as immigrants. And I think this is true for all first gen immigrants is that we just, we just do the work until it's done. It doesn't really matter how much time it's going to take. Damn. And, uh, you know, we've cycled through a lot of different people within the company, you know, um, and it's just difficult for some people, um, to dedicate time because they have things going on in their life, right? Different things, different circumstances, uh, different reasons, um, but I think the immigrant mindset is literally hell bent on just getting the job done and not looking at how much time we've spent doing it. You know, it's just do you, get do, it done. Do you think that's an immigrant mindset? Because I know plenty of immigrants that aren't like that. Yes, you know. So do you think more of it's just like an entrepreneur mindset? Well, maybe, maybe that's it's a combination. I would think. Okay. Um, just because, you know, back home, we, we were never used to working on like a, a an hourly basis or a time base. There was no a like project. Yeah, basis. yeah, yeah. There was no like real like trading time, time for money. Type right. Thing. There, yeah. So we didn't we didn't have that back home. It's like you just work as hard as you can until it's done. Mm -hmm. um, you're right. There's a lot of immigrants that don't do that, um, you know. And so I would assume that, yes, entrepreneur, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit is probably stronger than a lot of other things. Well, uh, just curious, what was your upbringing like? Upbringing, um, dad worked all the time. I think my mom uh, did 90% of the work raising me. And I, I truly believe that my mom is a genius um, in the way that she raised me for where I was at. So I was, of course, I grew up in the Middle East, very conservative, you know. Um, mm -hmm. However, my mom is a very liberal person. So you Interesting. Know, yeah, so she, you know, I uh, I got to see... A lot of things maybe that a lot of people are not exposed to, you know, um, as far as uh, places I would go, things I would do, you know. Um, and I really have my mom to thank for all of that because um, that is really uh, what made me, you know, it's a simple things. Like in our culture, in the Middle Eastern culture from back home, it's uh, everything is segregated. Like male do their own thing. The females do their own thing. You don't really Correct. get to meet, uh, you know. 
And uh, this was not true historically. So historically, you know, everybody was together, all the events were together. And then over time, for whatever reason, you know, um, things started getting segregated. And so my mom, you know, once again, very liberal, allowed me to be around everybody and anybody, you know, mm. and I'm talking gender, social class, you know, whatever it was. Um, so I really think I got a lot of exposure and, and you know, a good understanding of what the world looks like. Perspective. Yeah, beyond where, you know, where I was being raised, which is why I think it was very easy for me to say, okay, I'm going to pick up and leave and be able to come here and adapt just so quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, because a lot of people, uh, you talk to them, they've spent 20 years in the U.S., but they're set in their ways, you know? It's just, this yeah. is the way I was. This is the way yeah. I was raised. Man, you've been here for 20 years, you know? And they gotta change somehow. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They, you know, they just refuse to adapt. And uh, I think that's probably uh, uh, one of the most important things in my upbringing that I think was different than a lot of other people. Yeah, yeah. especially in your culture. Especially too. in my culture, yeah. Specifically, yeah. My, my culture, so, you know, I'm from Yemen, extremely tribal, uh, very, very segregated. Like, I'm talking to the extent where people don't meet their wives until the day they're married. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. how it is. And, uh, is that how it was for you? No, I, I, you know, I dated quite a bit. Um, I ended up marrying my girlfriend from college and it actually, my mom helped me a lot, um, to get that done, you know, cause my dad was like, absolutely not. This is not happening. What the hell is this? You know, like, like what dating? Oh, or, you know, getting married to yeah. your girlfriend. Cause mm -hmm. I'm sure he had like some, you know, arranged uh, marriage, something, some type of situation set up, you know, yeah. Yeah. somebody, uh, when I was a kid or something, yeah, I don't mom, know. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so my mom really helped me out. And, you know, I That's was amazing. always very like, uh, outspoken and, uh, I was earning money at the time. So I really didn't feel the need to like, you know, ask for permission. It was more like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm getting married. Uh, you know, she's been my girlfriend yeah. for a couple of years and I want to get married. And yeah. my dad was like, well, what the hell is this? You know? And my mom was like, okay, okay, we'll figure it out. You know? Yeah. And she really helped me, uh, push that. Not only with my dad, with my entire family. Because you're talking awesome. uncles and aunts and, you know, there's going to be uproar family. in the community. You know how right. it is. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, so we, you know, she really helped me bypass all of that. That's awesome, yeah. man. That's crazy. Are, are you, uh, is your family as financially as successful as you are? Uh, well, my whole family's here. Oh, okay. So, uh, so they're all here now? So I in Texas? Yeah. So I sponsored all of them and yeah. I brought them all here. And we all live on the same street. I bought them homes. Oh, that's amazing, and so dude. we have three homes on the same street in Sugarland, and uh, And they all have equity in my business. <laughs> that's awesome, that's, dude. Every, that's every single person. so yeah. cool, bro. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, that, like I said, it's leading into my next question. What is your why? What is my why? For business? Just everything that you're doing. Of existence? Yeah. I think my why now has changed significantly than what it was a couple of years ago. Of course, my why in the past was completely different, maybe a little more selfish. Um, now, my why is really, uh, you know, how can I help other people, uh, you know, do better in what they're doing? Uh, whether it's real estate, whether it's office warehouse. Look, I'm biased to office warehouses, okay? So I'm going to push for, like, if someone comes and tells me, hey, I want to build a house, I'll be like, no, 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 just wait. Don't do that. Okay, let me show you these numbers, and then you decide, right? And then, of course, it makes sense. It's less work. It's easier. No finishing, right? Yeah. Um, and and I always feel like maybe they have, like, this thing where they're like, okay, what's your cap? Well, you know, what's the catch? It's always like that. Right? right? But, it, it's uh, too good to be true. Right, yeah. but, but, but I don't He's too nice. No, like, they're going to be... I, th I feel like they're always waiting for, like, okay, he's going to ask me to invest with him. You know what I mean? 
And I don't do that. Like, I'm like, you know, I, I literally genuinely give them all the information and I leave it at that and I'm gone. And so I think that is when they realize that, okay, you know what? I think there's some truth to this. Let me look into it. So my why, uh, which I think I'm very efficient at, is I really want to, I really want to have other people invest in these type of projects. I really think that the demand is so high that if everybody who listens to this starts building warehouses tomorrow or office warehouses specifically, um, there will still be more demand. And you can easily create the demand if it doesn't exist. Yeah, 100%. Damn. You know? Shit, that's, that's awesome, bro. I, I feel like David and I have this similar interest too. Like no matter what field it is in our specialties, like we're always trying to help, help somebody like one of our goals. And I, I keep saying this every podcast, one of our goals is to, um, you know, form a charity out of this business in the future. Like when this business has, you know, hopefully sprouted in the near future, we want to actually build a community. I mean, our goal is to build a community with this business. And, uh, you know, link up with organizations, maybe like yours, maybe like Savage, maybe like our real estate company that I'm building and bring people that are successful together and actually form a charity, you know, yeah. because the most important thing is like, I mean, aside from taxes, you know, most entrepreneurs are, you know, they're in their own realm. They're, I mean, entrepreneur, entrepreneurship for a lot of people is a very selfish sport and being able to give back. I think it's unheard of, like in terms of a big entrepreneur getting together with a group of big entrepreneurs to build a charity and to actually give back. Because what you're talking about is actually what I mean, what you said today is pretty amazing and it shows like true character right. and what you're actually doing. It's not about the money, it's about the dream to be able to like help people do the same thing you are and hopefully also make a billion dollars. And that's very powerful. And, you know, it's that I think that's why one of the reasons why I push so hard to have you as a guest here today, because I think, you know, I mean, David probably hasn't even heard about you until today because he's not really. Well, I mean, I heard about you on the grand yeah, opening. For me, right? I, I kept yeah. like, you know, Hamza, Hamza, Hamza. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, I, I see a lot of. Um, no, but this is this is good, though, because I don't know this space. Yeah, it's right. amazing. You know, and I would love to make the, these. Billions of dollars. <laughs> I mean, dude, yeah. even three hundred fifty thousand dollars sounds amazing to me. Yeah, right. you know, like I mean, just anything, like yeah. any any way to diversify my income. Yeah, you know, like and if if I know this space and this is something I can invest in and grow my yeah. net worth doing and try and help people do the same 100%, thing, bro. That sounds cool to me. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, I don't have any more questions. You know, I, you know, appreciate you. Do you have any more questions? I don't, man. I guess yeah. what we've, our, our new tradition on this podcast because of Emily is, you know, we want you to ask us a question. Or if you, yeah, if, or if do you, do you if have you, a question? Do you have a question for us? Yeah. So um, I'll ask you a question. Um, why do you think it is so important to create a nonprofit? Why? To give um, back. I think like I have this image in my head that, you know, I, I, I just want to give back, yes. right? And in doing so, most people, I actually learned this from the fraternity that I was in in college. Um, we were the only fraternity to have our own philanthropy um, in our college, right? And, um, you know, we saw how many lives we were changing. And it was money that our direct organization was raising. And right. we knew that nobody was taking money out. They weren't benefiting their, you know, their chairs or having this fee or whatever the case may be. And, you know, we don't know where a lot of money goes into 
when you donate to charities, like Red Cross, for example. I mean, Salvation Army is not even a charity, but people think it is. They're 100% profit. And, you know, I think, like, part of me growing up, I learned from my parents, has always been, like, no matter how many times you get stepped on, you got to fight back. And a lot of people get stepped on continuously throughout the years. And being able to give people back something from people who are truly successful and a group of people who are truly successful that genuinely care about a community and actually giving back is probably unheard of because in in the space of large charities, I mean, everybody's making millions of dollars. Look at the pandemic. Right. And all the organizations that were, you know, you've given money to black lives matter. Where did that money go to? It, it went to the upper level that bought $4 million homes. Right. That's crazy. There was people dying. Their businesses were getting burned. And for me, you know, it doesn't matter how much money I make in my life. It, it's all about the impact. And that's the most important aspect of me. So, all right. That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. That's great. Look, that well, is, David, ex- David. that's, that's, ex- that's well, so cool. You want to answer that? <laughs> I mean, dude, I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't even know you wanted to do a charity. You know, this is kind of something he thrust it upon him, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I've, I, every time I go into business with anybody, I have a very similar outlook on life. I mean, it's, it's not always about the money. It's always going into business with some friends and how we can both mutually benefit each other, you know? And that's one thing I've always liked about Daniel is, I mean, yeah, we've definitely had our ups and downs, but regardless of that, anytime he starts a business or I start a business, we both try and find a way to include each other into that into that spotlight. And if we can do that for other people yeah. that maybe don't have a mentor or a friend that is successful that can bring them in and you can somehow either sponsor them or I don't even know how you would go about distributing funds for a charity and who you would pick and how that would even go down. Yeah, but, we don't know any part of that yet. But, I mean, the whole part of the mindset of doing that sounds freaking awesome. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. I, think, I think, you know... Uh, uh, what ends up happening is, or what I've realized, you know, in this very short time is, and I think you guys are feeling the same thing probably, is that uh, giving back probably gives us more happiness than, you know, buying something. or 100%. You know, if, if I buy like a new car or a new, you know, whatever, yacht or whatever, the, the happiness is very short-lived uh, to as where, you know, I feel like if I give back, that that happiness just is like, you know, on the next level and it lasts way longer, you know? It's, it's like, I mean, a simple analogy would be like Christmas morning, right? Right. Like when you get an awesome gift and you know they're going to love it, you kind of sit there and wait for them to open it because you yeah. know it's going to make you feel some type of way because you're going to see how happy they are. Right. It's essentially the same thing, you know? And if if I had the money to do that, I would, I would love to do that for other right. people. But yeah, dude, I mean... Changing lives is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 definitely a better feeling to help other people succeed. Yeah, and it sucks because sometimes like you're, you you'll be doing these nice things like creating a YouTube channel and you're literally just giving people genuine advice to help them and they think it's too good to be true. Right. And it right. sucks yeah. that like that's actually the world we live in. Like right. you're actually giving them millions of dollars worth of value and they don't even either jump on it, they don't care, or they think you're just trying to scam them and like take part yeah. in it. Exactly. Hundred percent. Exactly. Uh, you know. It's just, uh, but I, I do think that social media has changed the game for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's totally. been able, you, you've been able to elevate your business a the, lot faster. A lot faster. Yeah. Way, way faster. And even communication times have been cut down to like, you know, a quarter of what they used to be because yeah. now people can just, or I can tell people, Hey, you know what? Watch this video. I'm going to email it to you. Just watch it. And then let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And if they watch it, chances are 
They have very specific questions, you know, and uh, we can get those addressed in literally like 15 minutes, yeah. you know, and that's just amazing. Would you say what you do is hard? No. Um, I, I don't think, I don't think uh, you know, real estate is a very uh, process-intensive world where the processes were created hundreds of years ago. We just need to go through them. Um, I think learning about all the processes is the hard part. Mm. I think the implementation is very simple. Yeah. Yeah. So once you're aware, you can just implement and, you know, you'll make a ton of money. All right. And to get the real estate. <laughs> Everybody get into real estate. Industrial. So, Industrial real estate. Yeah. <laughs> flex space, flex space. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, you know, I guess that's, that's the end of, you know, episode five. We appreciate you guys um, for listening. We appreciate Hamza so much. Absolutely. Uh, for blessing us with this, <laughs> this course, essentially this podcast has turned into a course. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we appreciate you, Hamza. Thanks for coming out. And, yeah. um, yeah. If you have anything else left to add. No, thank you for no. being, uh, thank you for inviting me. You know, I had a great time. Yeah. And that's it guys. See you all in the next episode. Awesome, man. Maybe, maybe we can, I can rent some flex space from you in the future. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, if you guys rent flex space, we are at, well, you know, it's funny because I was talking said you came to America and immigrated. How old were you? You came in? 29. Okay. Okay. I'm 22. Yeah, but, you know, 29, 37. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did good. But, but, but I think, but, but I think the, you know, I, my biggest regret that I took was that I didn't document it. Well, because also social media wasn't really but, a thing back know, then. I didn't of course, of course. Uh, now, it gives me joy, and what makes it more fun is that I'm documenting the You can whole look thing. back, and I can look back, and everybody else can look back. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's gonna be so. I think it's just gonna be so much. Better. Uh, so, what, what kind of stuff are you like? Which platform is like your most popular? Would you say TikTok? TikTok then YouTube. Okay, uh, and how often do you post there? I just started my TikTok for a while. I just started now. Did you ever do it myself? <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, how do you run a business?